from the NFL. We know the Browns have talent, but I'm not sold on this rookie head coach. To the NBA. Kawhi Leonard has added his name as one of the best players in basketball. Across the landscape of college football. The Pac-12 got how many teams in the top 25? And so much more. Boxing needs a Dana White. It has too many chefs in the kitchen. The stories you want. The Zeke Elliott holdout could be coming to a close. The opinions you need. LeBron is coming back with revenge on his mind. The king is back. It's Jay Wise. I keep telling y'all my last name is no joke. And Nathan Drinkard. If they don't win this game, it's a wrap. Stick a fork in them. They're done. This is A Drink of Wisdom. Welcome to A Drink of Wisdom with Jay Wise and Nathan Drinkard. I'm your host, Cody Ward. Thanks for spending some of your time with us tonight. What's going on, guys? Hey, what's up, man? Let's do it. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Wednesday, everything good. Let's roll, baby. I'm glad to hear everything's good. In episode 46, Celtics' win streak is over. Taysom Hill says he's a franchise QB. And we react to the opening weekend in the XFL. But first, let's start the recap of Tuesday night's NBA action in Philadelphia. The NBA's best home team defended that title as the 76ers took down the LA Clippers 110 to 103. Philly's dynamic duo of Simmons and Embiid were clicking, both scoring 26 points. But the star of the show for Philly came in the fourth when Josh Richardson took over and put the game out of reach. Clippers all-star Kawhi Leonard put in an efficient 30 points, but it really wasn't enough to get him the win. Philadelphia improves to 25 and 2 at home and gets a week off for the All-Star break, while LA has one more game before their break. So let's start with this, Jay. What did the, what did Philadelphia prove to you by winning this game? It didn't prove a whole lot. It, it just proves they have the capability of being in the Eastern Conference Finals and perhaps the NBA Finals. This again, it goes back to what we thought to begin the season. Philadelphia 76ers, we believed at the start of the season, had the talent to be one of the four representatives in their respective conference finals. That has not changed. What has changed is I don't believe we expected this level of inconsistency. We talked about some of the reasons why that inconsistency has been occurring. We can look at the general manager, we can look at the coach, and we can look at the players. There's a whole lot of blame to go around. But we also look at last night, they got good performances. from the, they, they outplayed the Clippers. Joel Embiid, Ben Simmons, both giving you 26 points. And Josh Richardson did a, did a great job closing the deal, hitting some key three-pointers down the stretch. And Brett Brown, made, he did he did some things different last night. Could It it might be that Brett Brown's feeling a little bit of heat coming off that seat and says, you know what? This whole Twin Tower 1990s thing we got going on with three big guys, because Ben Simmons is a big guy, despite the fact that they may list him as a point guard. But, but again, Al Horford, they sit him down on the bench. They, stop, they uh, start Furkan Korkmaz, giving them a little bit more shooting on the outside, even though he didn't score last night. But Brett Brown obviously doing some things, coaching, tinkering with some things to give his team a boost. See, since what we're doing, we doing right now ain't working, let's try something different. And, and to their credit, it went fairly well last night. I thought they played an exceptional game. It's one of the better performances I've seen them of this year, but in the grammar scheme of things, it didn't prove very much to me at all because this is what we've seen from the 76ers at home. They're 25 and two, but they're nine and 19 on the road. So it's really the, the Philadelphia 76ers. They're not going to prove much to me at all by winning home games. They got to show some consistency and they got to show some grit and some mental toughness by going, taking this show on the road and beating some quality road opponents because 
let, let, and let's not get deceived by some of these guys around in uh, NBA circles talking about, well, you know what? The 76ers, they could win this thing without home court advantage because they take care of home court. They only have to steal one road game. Oh, is that so? Because it's completely out of the question that in the playoffs, the 76ers couldn't slip up and lose a game at home. But that's out of the question, right? We, we forget. You get to the playoffs, you're playing the best of the best. You think Milwaukee is going to be intimidated by coming into Philadelphia? What about Miami or Boston, Toronto? The list goes on and on. 76ers, this was a great win. But you have to be consistent. That's the biggest problem with this team. Will, will the Al Horford, will he continue to come off the bench? That remains to be seen. Again, it worked for one night. But, I mean, again, this didn't. This did not prove a whole lot to me. They got to be more consistent. That's what's going to show it for me. Hey, yeah. Uh, <clears throat> I think one game is a very, very small sample size to to see if they proved it. Here's the deal. I'm going to tell you what that one game proved to me. MB still out here up to his shenanigans. You know, he's going to get the crowd hype when he's at home. What And what is worth with MB with his antics? It does seem to do something for the crowd and the team. Like, every time he does, like, it's a weird dynamic. But every time he does something, it seems to do something because he's always at home. So I do agree with the premise of, okay, you could be a lower seed and you could win. If you have a generational player, i.e. LeBron James, i.e., you know, KD, um, a player like that, maybe. Do I see that for this Philadelphia team? I don't know yet. We, we still got to see more. Because the generational player in the Eastern Conference right now is Giannis. Now, if Milwaukee was out here flopping around, and they pulled the old Cleveland Cavalier uh, bullcrap where they just sandbagged it. And then, hey, we're just going to rest up for the postseason. I can see them getting away with, with, with it in this Eastern Conference. He don't have no Kawhi to go through this year. He He's, I mean, a mile between him and whoever you want to say the second best player is in the Eastern Conference. So maybe they can do that. Philly can't do that. What, what I saw last night was, and, and Jay alluded to this, was Brent Brown finally being a coach, folks. Just Brent Brown made an adjustment, people. He really can do something. That's what I've seen. He don't do much with his hair, but he did make an adjustment. And um, we've we seen that adjustment work last night. And listen, I'm a big proponent of this. I know everybody had a different ways of looking at this. They say, hey, you got to trade one. Hey, the GM got to go. Hey, I'm my, my thing is the coach. I feel like. No matter how much, well, I ain't gonna say no matter how much, but when the GM messes up and he gets you unnecessary players or he get he go out and get players or whatever the case might be, you as the coach, you still have to figure out how to maximize those 15 players that's on your roster. That is not the GM job. If he give you a bunch of trash, you better go find that treasure because at the end of the day, you are the guy that's gonna get fired. And then the GM usually comes after the coach get fired. Um, very rarely do you see the GM get fired first and then the coach kind of hang around. So I, I look at it, hey, Brent Brown, finally, man, come to the table. You made an adjustment. Look look at the results you can get from adjustment. Now, does it say anything about they hard on the road? 
Absolutely not. We will get to see that after the All-Star break. If it does anything, maybe, after, you know, they have a player-owner meeting during the All-Star break. They get their stuff together. Ben go, you know, chop it up with Embiid at the All-Star game. They might turn it around. They might end up being the 76ers team that we thought they was going to be at the beginning of the season. However, I would say this. I think that this is it for Brent Brown, me personally. This second half is it for him. Not only just making the playoffs ain't going to cut it, buddy. Not with this talent. Not with this talent. That ain't going to cut it. Because you are, you are the most talented team in the East. I know people want to tell me, oh, I don't know. Listen, Milwaukee has the most talented player in the East. We know that. But if you if you line them up, you probably have Giannis, and then you're going through a few Philadelphia players before you get back to Milwaukee. That's just the bottom line. So you have too much talent to be flopping around. This is your last second half there, buddy, if you don't get it done. And I, when I say get it done, at least at bare minimum, the Eastern Conference Finals. You don't make it to the East Conference Finals, you're fired. And so with all that said, that, that, that game last night didn't give me a whole lot. I'm still waiting to see something that, that convinced me that they're going to get it together. But last night, that, that wasn't enough for me. Yeah, a couple, couple additional points, Cody, before you go. This result did not surprise me last night, and I'll tell you why. And me and Cody were talking about this a little bit during the broadcast. 76ers are a bad matchup for the Clippers, and here's why. We we have known all along, at least in the back of our minds, the Clippers defensively, their prowess is primarily on the perimeter and on those wings. They don't have anybody that can match up with Joel Embiid. Now, you can say that about most teams. But the Clippers, you got Ivaka Zubats in there. He's the only guy with the requisite height that can match up with Joel Embiid. But you can just tell. It was just Joel Embiid was giving him the business anytime he wanted to. Zubats just couldn't hang with him. And then you bring in Montrez Harrell. God bless him. I love him. But he's just too small. I mean, you, you can't teach a seven-footer. You can't teach size like that. Seven foot's going to beat six, eight any day of the week. And that's what set up everything that Philadelphia was able to do last night. As well as Ben Simmons played, as well as Josh Richardson finished the game, to me it still was all set up courtesy of jo- of Joel Embiid. And that that's that was a big takeaway for me last night. I really liked how they played defensively. I thought that defense was exceptional. Kawhi Leonard shot 12 for 23 last night, and I thought Ben Simmons did a great job on him. And I, 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 and I told Cody this last night. I think Ben Simmons is probably the defender in the NBA, best equipped to guard Kawhi Leonard, and Kawhi still has had himself a whale of a game. That just proves how great Kawhi Leonard is. But the the big thing in this, you mentioned the duos in the lead-in. Well, Philly had himself a duo last night with Simmons and Embiid getting 26 apiece. Can I get an APB out for one Paul George? I mean, this was some this was some atrocious stuff last night. I mean, really? You giving me a 3 for 15, and then you want to cry about officiating after the game. That's not good enough, Paul George. And it, to me, the Clippers, the key to the Clippers the rest of the season into the playoffs is Paul George. Are we going to get a bona fide number two or 1B level player? Because due to it could be injuries, it could be performance. We'll see. But he's got to get it together if the Clippers are going to make the run we expect them to. Yeah, I was just going to say, I, I feel like watching Paul George last night, he was in a very frustrated state for the majority of the game. Um, he seemed to be more interested with, you know, 
just arguing with the refs than he was actually playing the game. He, I don't know it, and I'm just insinuating here. It, it seemed like he had something else on his mind. Just the way he was playing and the way he was just getting frustrated with little things. Like he he ran over Ben Simmons and then got mad about it. Like you ran over what you thought they was gonna call. What, what you thought was gonna come out of that? You just ran over the dude in front of the ref. Like, did you not see this whole controversy about the gold team that happened like nights ago? Well, you thought the ref was going to say, oh, I didn't see that one, man. I must have missed that one. Like, so I, I just thought he was all out of sorts last night, to, just to caveat on what you were saying about Bob. I, I, think, there, I think there's some merit to the Clippers' <laughs> complaint, complaints last night because the 76ers were only whistled for two fouls in the first half. As well as they play defensively, I find that a little hard to believe. But I don't need I don't want to hear that from Paul George because no one cares. Play better. Make shots. Make shots through the contact. You're good enough to do it, Paul George. Show us something. Yeah, I thought overall this game was really more of just you got Philly at their best and you had the Clippers just at their eh, like the Clippers on a three. This is their third game of a four game road trip. Uh, they just blew out Cleveland a couple nights ago. Uh, handed them a big steaming L, uh, one of the worst franchise history. But um, so you kind of, I, I don't, I really had the, the feeling the Clippers weren't really giving that their all. They were, they were kind of, I won't say lackadaisical, but the defense at times was really sluggish. You didn't have Patrick Beverly in the game, you know, so his kind of, his defense seemed to be definitely missed. Um, you guys are absolutely right about Paul George. I had that in there as far as he's had a couple rough games. He's been back. He's had a couple um, kind of clangs a game. So he's, he's, you know, coming back from the injury, working back into it, whatever the case may be. So, yeah, but you're right, Jay, going down the stretch, he's going to have to play better uh, because this team without him, Kawhi Leonard is not going to be able to just carry. I mean, you saw what he did last night. He had 30 points in a very efficient manner, uh, was doing pretty much what he does, and it wasn't enough, you know, so he's going to have to get more from Paul George. Uh, but overall, but oh yeah, overall, the Clippers just seemed to, they were kind of just kind of going through the motions in a way. And um, I think they were kind of looking forward to, getting these games out of the way, going to the all-star break. And like you said too, Jay, the matchup wasn't good. Not only was it Embiid, but Ben Simmons, I think, took a career-high 22 shots in that game, which proves that Ben Simmons was getting looks he liked. He was getting to the rim as much as he wanted. And, you know, being about as tall as a seven-footer, it's hard to just deal with that size, especially when really Zubac is your only guy that can do anything about it. Um, Yeah, you know, for the Sixers overall, um, this is what we're going to see with these guys. I think they're a team that's not – uh, mentally very strong. So you're gonna have nights they're feeling good and they're high fiving each other and they're gonna they're gonna be able to compete with any team they play against. And then you're gonna have nights where one of them doesn't show up or maybe none of them show up and they they put in a complete clunker of a game. And I just I don't know if I can trust this team down the stretch to get very far in the playoffs like that. But um, yeah, maybe they'll make like I said maybe they'll prove it wrong. Maybe the All Star break just what this team needed a little refresh, resets, new coaching change. Uh, coaching you know come in and change up a few things and maybe they can get it done we'll see say a 76 was outscored the clippers in the paint 58 38 last night the team that should have been paying attention to most of that last night is the los angeles lakers the lakers have similar size on the inside as philly and as much problems as joe mb gave the clippers last night that's the same thing anthony davis has got to do to the clippers he's got to be that matchup nightmare that they can't handle All right, guys, let's stick around the NBA. The late game last night saw the Houston Rockets defend their home court as well, defeating the Celtics 116-105. to The small ball lineup of the Rockets had two 
had lost two straight coming into the game, but a combined 78 points from Harden and Westbrook righted the ship. Celtics didn't really play bad, but were unable to keep pace late in the game and were badly outshot from the free throw line. Houston keeps pace in a fierce Western Conference at the five seed, while Boston remains comfortably in the third seed in the East. So, Drake, which team has a better chance of making the conference finals? Uh, well, look, listen, we this I think this is hand down. We're gonna say the Boston Celtics. Let's be real. The Rockets just uh, they they got too hard of a task. They would they would um have to go up through. I mean, we know the two LA teams, but. Let's talk about Denver and Utah. Those those are two teams that most people look as more of uh, conference finals contenders than the Rockets at this point. Um, whereas in the Celtics, you got to have the Celtics somewhere in your top four, no matter how you look at it. Um, whether they're the third team or the fourth team, you got them in there. And let's be honest, there's only one team that you pencil in, and and that's the Bucks. The rest of these teams are all grouped together, as you say. So I'm I'm gonna go with the Celtics, but Listen, while we on this small ball topic, I would say this. Hey, the Rockets, in my opinion, they are playing some better ball with this small ball unit. Is it enough to get them over the hump? I don't think so. But I would say they're playing better. They're more exciting for sure. Could they push the envelope with a Utah and a Denver at this point? Yeah, maybe. They could take them to seven. What would happen, we don't know. Whereas when I look at the Celtics, I'm like, man. They only got to get through the 76ers or get through um, – had the team on the tip of my tongue. The, the Raptors. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, the Raptors or, or whatnot to get into the Eastern Conference Finals depending on how they seed it. So I would say – and that's another thing. It depends on how they seed it, right? Like if you have to go up against Milwaukee in the second round, you, I'm, just, I'm sorry. You can hang that up. You can wear that on another day because you ain't wearing it today. So – Look, they they just got an easier road, man. I, I don't as much as I like the Rockets. I'm not saying the Celtics are a better team than Houston by no means. Um, I'm just saying, hey, the the routes, the paths are not the same. Like they say, you can either take the short route or you can take the long route. And for Houston, they're gonna have to take the long route to the conference finals. Whereas Boston gonna take the short route. So yeah, man, answer that question. I'm gonna go with the Celtics. Yeah, I don't. I don't think this question is all that difficult. I, I would take the Celtics as having the better, easier path to the conference finals, and and it is all about um, the route they'd have to get there. Because when we look at the West and the East, we, we there's three teams really in the NBA that I feel like have separated themselves, and those would be the Lakers and Clippers out West and the Bucks in the East. So with that being said, it, it's probably going to shake out that the Rockets are going to have to meet up with the Lakers or the Clippers in the semifinals to get to the conference finals. Really, to me, their only chance of making the conference finals is that somehow the Lakers and Clippers wind up as a 1-4 or 2-3 semifinal, and you hope the Rockets can get to the other side of the bracket. That's really, to me, their only chance. Whereas the Celtics, as long as they're not the fourth, the fourth as long as they're not the four seed, if they can get to the two or three, they'll have a good opportunity to match up in the semifinals with whether it's Toronto or Miami, and they'll have a chance, even though at the end of the day, Milwaukee's going to beat whoever winds up there. But in reference to this game last night, this is as much as I feel like Philadelphia is a tough matchup for the Clippers, the Rockets, the Rockets and this small ball lineup, as much as the Celtics appear to have kind of some matchup 
some matchup stuff in the small ball because the Celtics can go small. When you look at their starting lineup, when you got Jalen Brown, Kemba, Jason Tatum, and Gordon Hayward with Thice in the mix, and he can he can stand out there and hang out with Tucker for a little bit. That's a pretty comparable you know lineup. But the problem is, I think it's pretty clear in this matchup, Houston has the best two players on the floor. They have James Harden and they have Russell Westbrook. And that really manifested itself last night. These guys combined for, what is it, 78 points? I mean, the, the Celtics have two all-stars, including one all-star starter. And what did they give you last night? A whopping 29 on 10 for 32, 1 for 13 from the three-point line? I'm talking to you, Kemba. I'm talking to you, Jason Tatum. I wear... I mean, could we get anything from y'all? I mean, Jason Tatum was a nightmare for about the first three quarters. He got a little bit going in the fourth, Was started getting to the basket a little bit more. The three, the settling for three-point shots was just ridiculous. But it's just one of those situations where the Celtics, they just didn't look, they just didn't look all that interested last night, especially defensively. There were too far many occasions where I'm seeing Russell Westbrook get straight-line drives to the basket, whether it's in transition whether it's in half court. I mean, and that's just inexcusable. The Celtics are too good defensively to let those types of things happen. Jalen Brown out there, I appreciate him coming out there, gutting it out, giving you 19 points. But they, they referenced it for, uh, quite a few times on the broadcast. This guy's out there playing on two bad ankles. Hello, Brad, what, what are we doing? Like, sit this man down, let him rest up, because this guy's too important. When I, and again, when I look at the Celtics, and I, I think I explained to you all this a couple weeks ago, I don't look at the Celtics as having an A-level player, but they do have four B to B-plus guys with Jalen with Jalen Brown, Tatum, Hayward, and Walker. And with that being said, if you want to make a run, you really can't afford to lose any of, the, any of those guys because it's those four guys together that's really going to take you where you want to go. If, if they're not – if one of those guys isn't healthy, it's really going to be to the detriment of the Boston Celtics. And another reason this is a tough matchup for the Rockets is we talk about with the Lakers last week, Anthony Davis, the, the Lakers have a guy that they can just get, throw the ball to in the post or throw lobs to, and it's an easy day. But the Celtics don't really have that guy. I mean, Th Thice is a nice player, I mean, but you're not throwing the ball in the post and saying, hey, big man, go to work. Uh, and, I told, and it was pretty apparent last night in about three minutes that Enos Cantor cannot play against this small ball lineup. This guy came in the game, and it was an absolute joke. He he got the ball the very first time he got the ball and just, just barreled straight into somebody and threw up some nonsense. And then the next two possessions, it was a turnover. It was another poor shot. And then defensively, Enos Cantor can't guard people his own height. So you know he's not guarding anybody in this small ball lineup. So I don't even know why Brad Stevens bothered with putting him in the game in the second half. But your rotation is your rotation, I suppose. So, but I just feel like it was a tough matchup. Uh, James Harden and Russell Westbrook, they just did pretty much whatever they felt like. And the free throw disparity, and this goes back to the analytics. The Rockets were pretty, they weren't very good from three-point line last night. They shot 29%. But man, oh man, did they get to the free throw line and 88% making 37 to 42. They were plus 17 at the foul line. That's just too many free throws. And Boston Celtics, they got to do a better job of defending without fouling, and it's obviously a tough ass when you're playing two of the best one-on-one -on -one players in the game. Yeah, the uh, 
This Rocket small ball thing is really interesting, guys, because, you know, we talked about this when they played the Lakers last week, and that was their first experiment with it. Well, since then, they had lost their, their next two. They lost to the Suns. Uh, Westbrook took a, a night off for his load management, and then they played the Jazz. And, you know, for the Jazz, the Clarkson dropped 30 off the bench, but then Russ was 18-33, and Harden was 2-13 from three. So their two stars didn't really play well. So they're really 2-2 two and two in this endeavor so far. But – what we saw to last night was, I think, when this works, this is what you see. And what it really does is it puts it really puts Westbrook in the best position to succeed. Now, James Harden's game, he gets a little bit of benefit, too, but the Rockets are already kind of doing this with Harden. And as much many threes as he takes, as much like just kind of getting his own shot, like, I don't think you really need to system James Harden into points. Like, he can just kind of do it, you know? But what this really does is, I mean, Russell Westbrook has been on a tear anyway. His last 14 games, guys, he scored an average of 34 points on 53% shooting. I know uh, West Brick is a common name for him, but it hadn't been lately. And this system really lets Westbrook breathe and lets him be at his best. Um, you know, they... They, they get to play a ton of one-on-one, and you know how Westbrook is. He beats you in that first step, man. <laughs> Good luck. I have a, because uh, in this lineup, there's no one behind you. There's no big man to kind of come over there and, and you know try to help protect the rim. Uh, the Rockets were, I think, 70-something percent of the, the hoop, and the Celtics are like they only, they're like the ninth-best team in the league when it comes to rim protection. But your rim protector isn't there because he's got to go out and guard someone at the three-point line. He's over there in the corner. Uh, screwing around next to the bench with, you know, Tucker or somebody. Like, there's no one for him to there, – there's no one behind you. So, yeah, when you look at, you know, the one-on-one defense – and, Jay, like you said, I was surprised because I figured if, – if I had to pick, like, five teams that could most, you know, best defend this Houston lineup, Boston would be one of the teams I'd pick, you know, because you think, okay, well, this guy on this guy, this guy on this guy, like, maybe it would work. But, man, when when – I think what it comes down to is when Harden goes for 42 and Westbrook goes for 36, you're you're probably not beating them. I mean, that's just that's just the the thing of it. But um, I think that this this approach is still going to work for a while. I think they're going to catch teams by surprise. They're going to catch teams that haven't seen it yet. But I don't think this is a sustainable thing in the playoffs. I think two, you have to look at uh, all the Rocket starters played 36 minutes or more. Their bench didn't do anything. They had like five points in the bench. And that was the only two guys that had any kind of meaningful minutes. So I don't know. Do y'all think they can really keep this up in the playoffs by playing their starters that much and not really having a bench contribute to it? What do you think, Drake? I don't, I don't, I don't think they got a choice, to be honest with you. I, I don't. <laughs> right. I guess I should rephrase that to, you know, do you, do we think this would work in the playoffs? But I think you've already kind of said that you don't, you don't expect it to. No, no, yeah, I, I got you. Um, strategy-wise, absolutely not. Let's be serious here. But, I mean, you live by it, you die by it, and I think that's what they're going to do once the postseason come. And, look, man, it's going to bite them in the butt. But, you know what I'm saying? Like I said, you, you roll the dice, you get what you get. Yeah to, yeah, to me, it's, I mean, small ball, if they had Clint Capella, I mean, it's going to come down to – They're not, to me, they're in that mix, and we've said this all season. The Rockets are in that mix with Denver, with Utah, and now with with Dallas to a lesser degree. They're right below, they're they're significantly below the Lakers and the Clippers. But in the the end, it's going to come down to will the combination of James Harden and Russell Westbrook be able to make shots and make the right plays late in games? And, And that. 
I do like your point about Russell Westbrook. He's been on an absolute tear. He's playing fantastic. The last two times against the Lakers and last night, he's been playing great basketball. And part of the reason is he's not settling for jump shots. He's getting to the rim. He's forcing the issue. He's pushing the ball in transition. And to me, when you play the Houston Rockets, that is a key to the game. You need to own the pace of the game. And if you could control pace, you give yourself a better chance, especially against Westbrook, because J- James Harden can get his in a half. He, he's You have to worry about him in the half court. But if you get Russell Westbrook going downhill, you're, you're in trouble. And that's that's been one of the things I've noticed against both the Lakers and last night against the Celtics. But in the grand scheme of things, I, I don't see this working out in the playoffs past the first round because the Lakers and Clippers are just better teams. But one guy I will say that we might be forgetting for the Rockets, and that's Eric Gordon. Eric Gordon comes back. He, he will give you more of a scoring punch, and he's yet another guy who can create a little bit for himself, and he's a knock, and he's probably their best three-point shooter. All right, guys, let's, let's go ahead and move over to the NFL and one of the more unique quarterback situations in the league. New Orleans Saints have some big decisions coming up in the near future since none of their quarterbacks are under contract through 2020. Franchise quarterback Drew Brees has been reported, reportedly mulling retirement and will decide in the next few weeks. If he hangs it up, the Saints will have to turn to Teddy Bridgewater, Taysom Hill, or possibly another quarterback entirely. Bridgewater was 5-0 and as a starter in 2019, but Hill believes he's franchise material. So, Jay, who should be the starting quarterback for the Saints next season? This one ain't that difficult, I don't I don't think. And the first the first domino in this is Drew Brees. And it gets interesting if Drew Brees decides to hang him up and retire. But if Drew Brees wants to come back and play, come on back. We'll welcome you back with open arms. Because I really haven't seen a whole lot that shows me Drew Brees can't play in the NFL. I know he's 41. He's getting right up there, but... The regular seasons for him, he's been prolific. He's been excellent. And the injury he suffered last year, it was a fluky thumb injury. So I don't look at him as really having some injury concerns. The Saints still have a really good roster around him. Their offensive line is built pretty well, even though they struggled against the Vikings. You got Alvin Kamara and Latavius Murphy, good one-two punch in the backfield. And we know Michael Thomas is just catching everything for you in sight. You don't even need supplementary wide receivers as we've seen. That They do help, though. But let's just say, to make it interesting, if Drew Brees decides to retire, that's where it gets a little interesting. And that's where the great debate can sort of come into play. Because do you lean Teddy Bridgewater or do you lean Taysom Hill? For me, I don't think it's that complicated. I'm looking at a guy, Teddy Bridgewater, who has ample starting time in this league. He's the starter in Minnesota for a couple of years before he got hurt, has some good success. And you look at him last year for the Saints. Saints didn't lose a game in which he started. 5-0, and some real impressive wins, including one on the road in Seattle. And, I mean, Taysom Hill, I, I got it. You're a restricted free agent. You're trying to build up your brand, and you're trying to get paid and get noticed. But, I mean, franchise quarterback, we're going to have to – we're going to have pumped the brakes a little bit. I mean, what have, what have you shown? And I got it. Some of it's probably opportunity. We don't, we don't know. We haven't seen enough. Because Taysom Hill has just put in this Swiss Army knife role that we don't see really any other team utilize. Like, you don't see a player throw passes, 
run the ball, catch passes, punt protect, punt block, do all these different things. That's what makes Taysom Hill unique. And But you've only thrown 13 career passes and completed six of them. So we don't even – we don't have anything to, like, support the claim that you could be a franchise quarterback. So that's why I would take the safe play. I've seen it from Teddy, Teddy Bridgewater, and he's two years younger, by the way. So – and you've seen him have success with Sean Payton. So if Drew Brees decides not to come back, I would invest in Teddy Bridgewater if I had to pick between the two. Now, the ideal situation for the New Orleans Saints is to bring them both back. Because as we saw last year, whether it's Drew Brees or Teddy Bridgewater in the lineup, having Taysom Hill in his designated role is to the benefit of the team because he can do so many different little things. And when he's on the field, you kind of have to identify where he is because you don't know if he's going to be coming around to throw a pass. You'll know if he's running or catching the ball because he can do so many different things. Now, what I would say is if both of these guys want to be the starting quarterback, it's probably not you're probably not going to be able to keep them both. It's probably just unrealistic because Taysom Hill at this point, it looks like in his mind, he's kind of outgrown that role and he wants the opportunity to show that he can do more. But ideally you keep both of them. Bridgewater's your start quarterback. And I think if I'm Sean Payton, I would kind of expand a little bit on Taysom Hill's role. I'd give him a little bit more snaps, give him a look, uh, give him some more passes throughout the year. I think you let him throw the ball a couple times a game. And because we saw we saw in the playoff game against Minnesota when Taysom Hill was on the field, it was his snaps and his throws, his receptions that really gave the team some juice. Because let's be honest, they really struggled with Drew Brees under center in that game. So when I when I think about this question, I look at it like this. Who should not be the starting quarterback for the Saints next year? And I'm gonna give you that whopping Taysom Hill. Like, this is the, let's be real here. And but it's a reason behind, you know, it's a method behind the madness. So, check me out. Think about it. Let's think about this. Okay, we talking about football, but let's talk about McDonald's, for example. If you have an employee at McDonald's, he's a fry cook, but my man ain't don't mess up. He don't mess up an order. He can go back there. He can fry fries and clean the floor at the same time, and he can do it flawless. He he's creating value every day in in that in that role. Like if they start firing people, that fry dude ain't getting fired. Hey, that dude is he is legit. Leave him alone, right? But then you know, disremember to come down and say, hey man, who is that guy? Oh yeah, that's that's Jimmy over there on the fries, man. man he, Yo, hey, Jimmy, man, he's good to go. You know what? I need a new shift, man. You, you know what? I think, yo, he fried them fries so well, I want a new shift, man. Hey, Jimmy, what do you think about being the shift manager? Um, hey, yeah, 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 no problem. Yeah, yeah, I do it. I do it, yeah. And then he becomes a shift manager, and he don't even know how to fill out time cards. He don't even know how to control the staff. Now the staff doing whatever they want to do. Yeah, let me just let me pop in real quick. I just want to say, if he's never messed up an order, he probably don't work at McDonald's. But that's beside the point. Go ahead. Hey, it's some McDonald's with some flawless service. You best believe it. I mean, I'm not saying they might be a needle in the haystack, but it's something that exists. You dig? But either either way, 
you know, it, leave it up to Jay. He got to contradict what I say one way or another. But so he he becomes the shift manager, right? And and now he just he's messing stuff up. So that dude, now he can't revert back to the fry cook because now he's remembered as the messed up like uh, shift manager. So when he tried to be like, oh, I can't handle it. No, 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 no. You didn't. That's not what you was popping off when I asked you if you want to be the shift manager. You said, yeah. Hey, okay, let's roll. Now you you didn't we didn't lost money. We didn't gave back more free food than we want to. The the margins ain't adding up now because you over here flopping around just letting people do whatever they want to do. You're supposed to have five employees here. You only got two. Everybody just like you know, whatever the case might be, whatever shift managers go through. Now he's out of there. He's out of like, go find you another job because you didn't F this one up so much, we don't want to deal with you. This is what I see with Taysom Hill. I see, look, man, you have created value with this team. This team is not trying to get rid of you at all. You have made it to where they have to think really hard before they want to get rid of you because you do so much. If you decide, I want to be a franchise quarterback, and you go and become the quarterback, and you don't give the New Orleans Saints, what they need, they're going to cut you. That's it. It's no more going back to Army Swiss night. You're going to get a shot at the big time, and then they're going to be like, oh, look, salary cap, we got to sign this other guy. We got to get rid of somebody. All right, Taysom Hill got to go. And so I say to myself, like, Taysom Hill got to be careful how far you try to push. I got it. Quarterback is a glamour position. I got it. You played quarterback at BYU and you weren't that good either. I got it that you was hurt most of your college career. Now you're in here. Oh, the, the facts are the facts. Go look at him. He was hurt a lot at BYU. But here's the deal. He has made a good role for himself. What he do for the Saints is top notch. I don't understand why you will mess that up. So I just wanted to get that off my chest. As far yeah, as so, the Hmm? Yeah, so, oh, yeah, so it, it could be it could be for Taysom Hill. You got to think about this. He's 29 years old, and as far as just simply getting paid, he may see the best opportunity to make himself money is to promote himself and say, "Yeah, franchise quarterback. That's what I want to do." If he can, if he can get one team to pay him franchise money, it won't matter. It won't matter to him if he flops or not. He's going to get that big contract, and it's going to pay him way more than he'll earn as a Swiss Army knife as well as, now, as, well as he's got that role now. That, that just may how it be for him. But listen, who, who, what team has he seen enough tape to even remotely even, like, entertain that? He, at best, he will be a backup quarterback on the roster. Uh, what, will he make more money as an Army Swiss knife? I'm guessing. I don't know what he make as an Army Swiss knife, but I would guess as a backup quarterback he would. The problem is this. It's just, and you're right. He might just, this might be a money grab. If it's a money grab, then by all means, everything I just said goes out the window. He going to get to grab his little stash and roll out, chuck the deuces and say, holla at your boy. But if he really trying to be a quarterback, I just feel like he would hurt himself more than help himself if he do that. And to answer the question, I think, like Jay said, if look, Drew Brees got all the cachet in the world. It's up to him what he want to do. The Saints ain't going to force him out. They're just not. I don't I don't care how, how it shapes up because it comes a time. If he was out here looking like Phillip Rivers, 
you wouldn't have to tell him one thing. You'd be like, hey, hey, Drew. Did you see the same thing? We, we good? Like, we, we don't got to make a big deal out of this, right? Yeah, we, we good? Yeah? All right, all right cool. Just like Phillip Rivers did. That it? The Chargers and Phillip Rivers did not make a big deal about it. It was, all right, man, uh, we're going to mutually agree to part ways. That sounds good to you. Sounds good to me. We good? We good? Yeah, all right. Well, boom. See you later. And that's how it should be. If he decides to leave, just like Jay said, why bridge? Why not Bridgewater? First of all, Bridge, Bridgewater is the younger of the three, right? So he's the younger of the three, which means he has a little more room to grow into something else, I guess, as they say, blossom his upside, whatever. And you can sign him to a longer contract. You can have him around longer. And he, and he has what Hill doesn't have, which is a body of work, whichever way you want to look at it. You want to look at the Minnesota body of work. You want to look at the Saints' body of work, but he has a body of work. That's just the bottom line. So with that said, it's just very hard for Taysom Hill to come out here and be like, franchise, yeah, you can be a franchise quarterback. They need some people in the XFL. Go holler at them. Because uh, in the NFL, I'm sorry, I think this is going to be a hard look, buddy. So, yeah, man, that's my outlook on that. I'll, I'll, pose, the, I'll pose this one to you. Let's suppose Drew Brees retires and Teddy Bridgewater gets a big contract from someone else in unrestricted free agency. Does Taysom Hill start then, or do you bring someone else in, or do you go to the draft? Well, look, that, so then it, um, the coach, he think he's the smartest dude in the room. So, of course, he's going to say, oh, yeah, yeah, give me Taysom Hill. That's my guy. Yeah, I show y'all I was right about this. I can make him the best thing since sliced bread. And then when he come out there and pull a Josh Rosen, then he gonna be like, well, hey, hey, whoa, hold on, hold on, man, hold on, y'all, hold on, y'all ain't. I, I thought he was y'all ain't give me nothing to work with, man. No, you said you can make him work. You said you can make him work. You got the golden touch like Midas. You can make him work. So don't we don't want to hear you ain't got nothing to work with. So th- that's how I would look at in in that situation. Before you get into anything else, I think uh, Taysom Hill would be like the best XFL quarterback ever. He would absolutely destroy everyone else in that league. But that could actually be a good move for him. Like yeah. go to XFL and start there for the body of work. Right? Well, see, the other thing about it is what I look at is this. I don't know if a team is going to give up a ton for Taysom Hill, but you know there's got to be four or five teams right now looking at what he did. The last thing he did in the playoffs is he play he plays a quarter of New Orleans snaps in the regular season. He plays almost 40% of them in the postseason. So you got a lot of contact. You got a lot of time with him. And you know there's some team looking at him right now, just like just like Drink said, some coach with his 20-pound brain next to him on another chair sitting there going, man, I could do something with it. I could make that guy work. And how much fun it would be to do this and this play and this option. And I could get this other running back in there. And like, you know, someone's doing that right now. So what if I would I want him as my franchise quarterback? Well, no, I, I wouldn't. Because the thing is this. I think what's the most telling situation here is this. Drew Brees got hurt early in the season, right? And who did the Saints turn to? They didn't turn to Taysom Hill. Now, now. Sean Payton has gone on the record and says, oh, I, oh, we love Hill. Yeah, he's great. We'd love to have him as our quarterback, da-da-da. Mm. But, but when things actually got tough, you went to Teddy. You didn't go to Taysom. So that's interesting. And maybe you wanted Hill to help you know, Teddy out with his throwing and you know, have more weapons and whatnot, eh, maybe. But I, I think if, if Hill had that kind of talent, 
by now that he was legitimately just some franchise quarterback that was a punt gunner for some reason. I just don't think those two things are like, this, you know, they're not, that doesn't add up. You know, the calculus isn't there. So, I mean, can you win with Taysom Hill? Yeah, probably. If you, if you built an offense around him enough, some, you know, I don't even say like a Lamar Jackson style offense because he's such a budget Lamar Jackson, but you know, it's that, those sort of offenses where you can kind of make it work. Um, oh, oh man. Hey, Cody, I'm sorry. But you, when you said that, they, they took, oh man, speaking of that, Speaking of that, the level of disrespect I heard today when they when some GM or executive had the audacity to say, oh, yeah, Jason Hill, he he throw better than Lamar. (laughs) We ain't got we got a mini size sneaker sample of him throwing the ball and you going to. He better throw the ball to the ball, Jack. I, I, I could buy I could buy one dozen one dozen eggs, and I'd only need one more to have as many pass attempts as Taysom Hill has in his career. I heard that today. I said, "Now nah, this is some pure disrespect right here." That, that guy. I thought you were about to come after me. I was like, "Oh, what did I say?" Oh no, <laughs> he braced him for it. <laughs> I was ready for it. I was like, "I'm about to duck under my table and." Uh, <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I mean, ex- uh, that's ludicrous in every level. But I mean, hey, we, we haven't really gotten Taysom Hill. We haven't been able to see it. But my thing is, like, in practice and in games where they could have turned him, they never did. So, I mean, yeah, could he be some prodigy that's just been sitting around doing whatever? Sure, but is he? Probably not. I like what uh, Bill Barnwell from ESPN, he wrote. Uh, he said that they would they should slap a second round uh, tender on Taysom Hill and just kind of fish him out there and see if a team bites and you get, get some draft compensation. Maybe do that with him. If Drew Brees does hang it up and says, hey, you know what? I'm, I'm old and tired. I don't want to do this anymore. I'm going to go hang out and do whatever. Then you could probably get both of them back, but New Orleans only has about $9 million in salary cap, and they don't have a lot of ways to make a lot of it. They kind of refinanced Drew Brees' contract a little bit, and now they're kind of in trouble with that. So it would be hard to make the money work, especially if Hill and Bridgewater are both set on getting paid as much as they possibly can. Um, and the way Hill sounds, he doesn't want to take some discount to stick around with the Saints. I mean, he's probably having fun, but he'd probably rather go do it somewhere else. So, hey, I don't know. The Saints got a lot of lot to work out. But like I said, I think Bridgewater is your guy if Breeze retires. But even if I did bring Bridgewater back on a nice little contract, if you get a good price on him, I'm probably getting a quarterback in this draft, and I'm probably going to spend a second or third round pick on him just to have something in the future because – I think Bridgewater's a guy you can win with, but he's not going to be a guy you're going to win Super Bowls with. It's just how I how I view him. So, a lot of work to do in New Orleans. We'll see how they uh, see how they figure it out. All right, fellas, let's wrap it up with some XFL talk. Vince McMahon's league saw its opening launch this past weekend, and it seemed to be well received. The average attendance for the games was about seventeen thousand plus. TV viewership was over three point three million for three of the four games. That's pretty good considering the NBA on ESPN averages 2 million viewers. The new league features some former NFL talent, some fun rule changes, and more interaction with players and coaches. D.C., Houston, New York, and St. Louis all won over the weekend. So, Drink, on a scale of 1 to 10, how would you rate the opening weekend of the XFL? Well, let me just say this. I'm glad, you know, on the contrary of what Jay was saying, I'm glad I wasn't the only American that seemed to get to the TV screen and watch XFL this weekend. Being that it was such a dead franchise first time around. But, you know, there's neither here nor there. Um, as far as the product, you know, 
I'm I'm gonna give it a I'm gonna give it a solid eight. Um, I thought the networks did a good job. I thought the teams did a good job. One of the, one of the few they they got to kind of get it together when it comes to um these these arenas that they're playing in. That when I watched the DC team play, I thought as soon as that game came on, I said this Washington DC team got it right because they play in a soccer arena. One thing you have to realize when you're you're rebooting and it, you know Vince McMahon kind of let me down with this one. I, I felt like he would have figured this out with the first go around. But when you're rebooting, you cannot go for the gusto, man. If you're trying to start something, why are you trying to play games in NFL stadiums? I don't, I don't particularly like that. Now, all these teams might not have a soccer arena. I got that. But you, you just got to know your limits. I watched the New York game. Good teams, whatever the case might be. But my eyes always get trained to what I'm looking at in the stands. And I'm looking at all this empty space in the stands. You're going to have this empty space in the stands. Put an XFL banner over the empty seats or something. Do do something. Like, block that crap off. I know you used to it, Cody. You you the bit in your stadium. You see stuff talked off. Like, yeah, look. Never. No, not us. <laughs> look, but here's the deal. XFL. You got to do better. You got to clean that product up for TV. Hey, man, your product is on, you know, ABC, your product on Fox. You got to clean that up. And I thought the D.C. team did that very well. Play in the soccer, te- play in the soccer arena, 17,000 or whatever fits in there. Not no, you know, 30,000, 40,000 uh, football, sta- uh, NFL football stadium. And, and the product looks better. I thought the DC game looked better because of that. Because you didn't have like cr- mad, crazy, oh, uh, empty seats. Now, <clears throat> once again, one of the things I went on the record saying, I said the NFL will take some ideas from the XFL just like they did the first time around. While watching this, I did see a few things that I do think the NFL is going to take. Now, one thing I know that they're probably not going to take is this whole transparency thing that's going on with the XFL. That ain't flying in the NFL. I don't, it's just the egos, the personalities, what the NFL represent. I, it's hard for me to see Bill Belichick allowing everybody to hear what he got to say. I, I just, you're, you're, talking doing better. The, you're talking about all the microphones and end game interviews. Yeah. Like you can hear the coaches like, Hey man, what the hell man? What, what was you thinking? Like all that. And, hey, what? Run the same play. Run the same play. Nah, man. Like, nah, I don't know about all that. Um, you you can hear the quarterback out there. Like, he's like, hey, what's going on? I, I can hear you, man. Oh, man, forget it. I'm just gonna run this play. All right, cool. That that I just don't see that. Um, another thing, those interviews are, are kind of brutal. Look, if a kicker miss a field goal, you can't go. <laughs> like, what are we doing? You can't go run over there to him. Stick the mic in his face. Hey, man, how you feel about that 46-yard kick, you bitch, man? Like, like, what are we doing? Like, you can't do it. You can't do it. It's it's a term, right? It's a term, and they use this term in UFC because they always say this. When a fighter loses a fight, the, the, uh, the commentator always avoid talking to the fighter that lost the fight. He would talk to them later after they didn't went, sat, thought about it, took a shower, all this other good stuff. Then they talk to the loser fight. They never. They try not to talk to him in the octagon. 
Because they just lost. They're emotional. What you think is going to happen? you lucky they don't, like, slap your head off. Like, so when I look at that time with the XFL, come on, man. Like, let, you know, can you wait another quarter or something? Just let it simmer a little bit. And then, no, they go for the gusto. I mean, my man missed a field goal, three seconds. He's jogging to the sideline and the reporter right there. Boom. Hey, how you feel about that missed field goal? Yeah, real quick on that. Did y'all see the game where Pat McAfee was on the sideline and the dude didn't ground? He went down the punt and he like slapped it into the end zone. I thought McAfee was gonna go on there and whoop his. He was like, I'm, I'm getting down the right. You can hear him like running like towards the dude. It was. I love. I love that stuff. It's great. No, what? Well, see, the concept of it is amazing. Like you, it's different. It's fresh. It's, the concept is amazing. I'm just saying, like you, I just. I can imagine the championship game going, you just lost the game for your team, and then you roll up there to the kicker. Hey, man, how you feel about missing that game winner, man? They just, you know what I'm saying? Like, you know what I'm saying? Go out here and pull a Miles Garrett. But that's, you know, that's, but listen, that, as good as that, um, and still, it was a good product. Don't get me wrong. I, I I love the product. I just feel like, come on, man. Y'all got to figure that out. Dude, let's just do a little better job with that. The PAT option from the 1, uh, what is the 1, 5, and the 10, or the 2 to 5, 10, something like that, Um, for 1.2.3 point. I thought that was exciting. I thought, listen, now, I don't foresee the NFL taking that concept from them. As good as it is, I just don't see the NFL. Because the NFL is invested in the kickers. They invest in them. Like, I just don't see them just doing away with those positions, one. And I don't see coaches trying to, like, imagine Bill Belichick trying to come up with plans on, right, let's go for two hits, let's go for three. And I, I just, I feel like that's a lot for, for the NFL to do. So I don't necessarily see that. The one thing I did see that I thought, without a doubt, that we were seeing the NFL in the next three to four years was the kickoffs. I thought that kickoff setup, that looks like something that we could see in the NFL. Because what I liked about it was basically it turns a kickoff from a special teams play to a long run play, if you actually look at it. Because they, they they got the one yard or five yards, whatever was between them. And then when they kicked the ball over the, the players, the, the receiver's over there. Now, hey, XFL, can we get some receivers that can catch the ball? Because I've seen way too many drop balls, way too many balls off the face mask. Wait, like, look, look, these dudes got to catch the ball. I don't know what the problem is. But anyway, they kick the ball over. No one can move until that receiver touches the ball. Um, Once he touched the ball, the team that kicked the ball got the advantage, evidently, because they can see the player first. Whereas the team that's receiving the ball, they either got to wait from a call from the receiver saying he got it or whatever it is that they use. The reason I like it is because once that receiver gets the ball, this is why I say it turns into a run play. Now you got one-on-one blocking all the way through the trenches. All that, that receiver got to really do is find a hole. If he, he finds a hole, breaks that hole, it's essentially a run play at that point. Because you don't have to worry about people streaking from the side, streaking from angles you can't see. Everybody is one-on-one blocking. I think the kickoff in the XFL is a lot more safer than the kickoff in the NFL. Because once again, like I said, you can you you can pretty much see all the guys in front of you. You don't have to worry about that gunner coming down from an angle that you don't you can't see 
and he smack you and you know and send your rib right into your liver and ain't nothing you could do about it. You know, so <clears throat> I liked that that concept. I thought that concept was amazing. Um, I see microphones everywhere. Yeah, that that's a thing that it's, I just find it hard that the NFL sign off on it. Now they might do. I find it hard that they would sign off on it. It's just because the NFL is such. It's like private school and public school. You can do whatever whatever you want to do in private school, pretty much. They just gonna kick you out until you go to another one. You do something in a private school, they want to ruin your career. They want to go and, I don't know, have you on some blacklist where you can never get a higher level of education again because you suck. And that's how I look at the NFL and the XFL. The XFL can sit out here and say some crazy crap, and we're going to love it. We're going to laugh. We're going to have a good time. Man, this is a good product. If the NFL do it, we just let's be honest here. We hold them to a high standard. We're going to be like, hold on, man. Wait. Really? Is that, man, come on, man. Josh McDaniels out here talking to people like that. Oh, man, I wouldn't be taking that if I was Brady. That's bull crap. But in the XFL, it's like, hey, who's that dude again? What's his name? Oh, that was Cordell Jones? Oh, man, man. No, no big deal, man. So, um, look, I took a lot from it. I'm going to give it an eight because they got to calm it down on some of these microphone interviews. They got they to calm down on some of these interviews. But, look, the product was good. Now, the question is, can this product keep this momentum as we get into week two, week three, week four, week five? Will they be able to keep this momentum? Because let's let's be honest here. Super Bowl went off on Sunday. They came and rolled around on Saturday. We was just happy to have some football. And it was a pretty decent football. I just don't know if they can keep the, the momentum. And they, to be perfectly honest with you, the goal for the XFL this time around was to show that they was a watchable product this time. It wasn't to compete to compete with the NFL, to compete with college football. They just wanted to show people they was a watchable product. They did accomplish that goal in, in the opening week. But now you got to maintain that goal if you want to go more than one season. Yeah, I, I, I pretty much agree with Drake on all this. I'm giving it – I'm going to give it a seven mostly just to be somewhat different. I, I thought it was a successful opening week. I watched – that automatically gives you plenty of points in a rating system because you got me to tune in, mostly because Drink's been hyping it up. And to his credit, he was absolutely right. This would this looked like a real thing when you watched it. The camera angles all over the field, giving you multiple views of different plays. You got the two major networks, Fox and ABC and ESPN, on the call for each game. Uh, I like that they put two on Saturday, two on Sunday, so you you got the opportunity to watch every game. Uh, there's there's actual NFL players that have played in the NFL over in this league. So you have some not, not really star power, but for the XFL, you've got recognizable names. You got Cardell Jones. You got Coney Ely, who about, you know, four years ago was making big plays in the Super Bowl for the Panthers. And, you know, several other guys uh, went Landry Jones. I, I've been told is supposed to be the face of this league. He didn't play in the opening game. That, that kind of hurts when you're. You know, your so-called face of league doesn't play. And it, it all it always it's already interesting because, even though it's probably it's got to be hard for like the odds makers to bet these because it's a, every team's an expansion team. It's a new expansion team. It's a new thing. But you got good old Dallas. Good old Dallas was a favorite down there. And they, they took a hot L early on. So it's already interesting with, with that. The, the favorite to win the whole thing. 
uh, is already behind the eight ball. I guess I guess there's going to be a third league created so they can finally get a winner down there in Dallas. But that's a story for another day. You got a lot of you got a lot of real uh, coaches in this league. I mean, Kevin Gilbride, Pep Hamilton, Mark Tressman, Jim Zorn. They've all been NFL coaches to some degree. Jim Zorn, Mark Tressman were head coaches at one point. I think Pep Hamilton, I don't know why he's not coached in the NFL some reason. Uh, he's a guy that I've got a lot of respect for. Did some really good work with the Indianapolis Colts. Uh, the, the the rule changes, there, there's plenty of them to make it interesting. Because I think when, you, when you're trying to create another football league, you can't do everything exactly the way the NFL does it. Because it's just not going to generate all that much interest. Because in terms of talent, you're already behind the eight ball because we, we recognize the XFL talent, talent for talent. XFL is just going to be an inferior product. And we saw that like the quarterback play it, it's spotty. It's hit and miss. Like there's some dudes that I, I, I can't even recognize them. Like I know Cardell Jones. I know Landry Jones. There's a couple other guys I recognize, but what we got Brandon Silvers or just, just random dudes out there throwing passes. So some of the rule changes, I really like the kickoff rule. I'm absolutely right. And I told y'all the first kickoff I viewed in this league, I was like, oh, that's going in the NFL. I don't know when, but the NFL is taking this kickoff because the kickoff in the NFL is so watered down. First of all, they moved it up to the 35. Uh, I, I forget how long it's been, but many years ago now. And you move it up to the 35, that just creates more touchbacks. So, I mean, that, that's not interesting. But so now you and they moved it up also to decrease concussions because you got so many high speed collisions with guys flying from their, you know, their 35 and colliding with people 40 to 50 yards down the field. Now you, you, and you talked about it. It's pretty much a one on one assignment for everybody on what the 25, I believe it is. And th there's actually a penalty. I think you get the if you kick it, a, if it's a touchback, the receiving team gets the ball at what the 35 yard line. So it's actually beneficial to put the ball in play, and it, it 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 is. I like how you broke it down. It's a it's a it's an extended running play, and and to your point on that, I think it's going to be difficult for like return men to break to break long returns because I think it's a lot to ask for ten blockers to hold blocks for that long, unless you kick it, you know, to the fifteen or something. Then it might be easier. But I still like it because it's going to be action on every kickoff. I mean, in the NFL now. Kickoffs are a snooze fest. It's just more often than not, it's a touchback. So I really like this rule. I think the NFL should adopt this rule. I think they should do it just like the XFL does. And they should move the ball back to the 30-yard line like it used to be. For the XFL, I love the point after touchdown options. I think it gives teams late in games that are down. I mean, that you mentioned it. Uh, well, you got some three-point options now. So now an 18-point deficit is still a two, possibly a two-possession game, even though I think converting two, I mean, two two-point, we look at a 16-point game in the NFL, is like, oh, two touchdowns, two two-point two conversions. Man, that's going to be tough. It's even tougher now in the XFL because now you got an 18-point game. You need three-point conversions from the 10-yard line. You need two of them in that sense. So it's even tougher, but it is possible. And think about how more miraculous it would be if we saw something like that. So I love that. Uh, I disagree with you on the in-game interviews. I think if you're going to interview players mid-game about, you know, the good plays they make, yeah, put the microphone in front of the quarterback when he throws that pick six. I want to hear from him straight up. Tell me something. 
But, hey, another thing, I like what the XFL has done with allowing communication between a quarterback and the coach all the way up until the snap count or, or until the snap is gone. Because mm-hmm. I think that's necessary because the quarter, the again, and this goes back to talent. The quarterback talent in comparison from NFL to XFL is a huge drop-off. So in order to assist those guys, I think that's smart by the XFL to allow that communication all the way up until the snap of the ball because the NFL cuts it off at about 15 seconds, I believe. Now, about, now, on the other side, I think I believe defensive play callers, they're allowed to have communication with their players throughout the entire play clock. So I, I like both of those things for the XFL. So, yeah, a lot to be excited about. I think the attendance, that, that that could be somewhat worrisome. But, hey, this is a good weekend. And due to the positive reviews, I believe a lot of people have been giving it. Maybe that will encourage more people to show up in week two. Yeah, I think they definitely hit it uh, about as good as they could have hit it over the weekend. Uh, the two things XFL really has to do, like y'all were kind of saying, is, one, you have to mask the deficiency of talent. You're not going to win by just – you know, going, oh, look, we have some NFL guys, too. Like, you have to kind of work around it. I think they did it beautifully. You know, you have the game being carried by major networks. You have announcers you've heard call football games before. I've heard Steve Levy and McElroy call big college games. I've heard them call, you know, I don't know if they call it NFL games. But you're hearing the voices you've always heard with football. You're seeing packed-out stadiums. You're seeing what looked like pretty decent football overall. I mean, there were some games that were a little more of clunkers. But you had – it didn't look corny. It didn't look like crap. You know, the quarterbacks were – somewhat competent you know there was i think cardell jones played really well some other dudes played well too um so i think that the one thing that the one of the things that aaf didn't do very well is it didn't carry itself like a major thing it kind of acted like it wasn't very good where the xfl was like oh no we're the xfl come on we're, we're doing this and the other thing you kind of got is just i think the overall it wasn't just the presentation but it was the the product was good i mean and that was i think really what I guess like why I enjoyed it so much was because I, I turned on the first quarter. I was like, ah, well, let's turn it on, whatever. But then it was like I was actually compelled, you know. And the other thing you had was the it wasn't so corny that it you couldn't. It wasn't like, oh, we're gonna go for a five point play and then we're gonna do a double onside kick with a flip, and because of that we got a half a point. It was like, yeah, the rules are different, but they're also like manageable. One foot yeah. catches. I like that. Yeah, it you doesn't know? feel it doesn't feel too gimmicky. Exactly. Was, it's not too arcadey. And they, uh, was laying, too. they was laying the boom out there, too. Yeah, I seen. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that was what I was trying to get to is you, you got the you got the it's not too corny, but the clock stops inside of two minutes. You know, so there was a lot to like. Um, It was a lot to like. And, the, and I, I was really surprised at how much I liked it. And I'm glad it was received well, because this could be fun. This can hold you over until the NFL offseason really kind of gets going. So you kind of get something in between. It's, it's placed right. It looks good. I'm all about it. All right, guys. I'm finished off with some rapid reaction. A lot of topics and a little bit of time. Take it away, Drink. Yes, sir. The NFL reinstated Browns DM Miles Garrett two days after his meeting with Commissioner Roger Goodell. You okay with this? Nope. He should be suspended for at least the first two games of the 2020 season. That that incident, that a lot of people may have forgotten about it. I haven't. You ain't getting away with that. Although I guess he is now. Marquee non-conference scheduling in college football as LSU and Florida State will play each other to start the 2022 and 2023 seasons. Your thoughts? Hey, look here. I love it. I want more of it. You dig? So, hey, come on, other teams. Go ahead and get the scheduling. Make these marquee matchups. 
and I want them just like this, three, four years down the road. Not no crap by the time I get ready to retire. I got to wait for that, that premier matchup. The Boston Red Sox have, have named bench coach Ron Renke, interim manager as Major League Baseball continue its investigation into sign stealing in 2018. Is this the right decision? Yeah, I think so. Renke's got uh, managerial experience from his time with the Brewers. Uh, and it's probably the right move to wait for Major League Baseball to conclude its investigation and hear what punishment they're going to levy down upon them and then and then per- perhaps hire a, a permanent manager from there. Former NBA All-Star Luol Deng has been named Global Ambassador for the Basketball Africa League. It's quite an honor, isn't it? It is, man. Um, when you think about how global the NBA is becoming, um, you're the face of that country as far as basketball go it is i mean just look at Yao Ming. you know he's the face of the chinese um organization and you know they they pretty much untouchable when it comes to basketball in their country the dallas Mavericks has signed former number two overall pick michael kidd gilchrist is that significant uh not really he might help dallas defensively but i mean as a number two overall pick he's predominantly been a disappointment Former Jets pass rusher Mark Gastonal told ESPN he believes the NFL single-season sack record should belong to him instead of Hall of Famer Michael Strahan because of Brett Favre's dive that assisted Strahan breaking the record. Do you agree? Hey, what you said? You said they found. Hey, um, somebody asked me. Um, they want to know what rock this guy came from under to complain about this, because this this is bull crap. Like, man, if you don't get up out of here with this mess. Like, nobody's worried about this but you. No, but you. Hey, uh, Market Mark, you need to go back and whatever you was doing, selling bread, I, I don't know, but you go back to doing it, man. Leave it alone. Like, what are you talking about, man? The Pittsburgh Pirates have signed veteran outfielder Gerard Dyson to a one-year deal. Does that make sense? Uh, yeah, they just traded uh, Star and Marte to the Diamondbacks a couple weeks ago, so they had a need out there in the outfield. Uh, Dyson's been around for a long time, steals a lot of bases, plays great defense, so it's a good fit short term. After one season at Colorado, Mel Tucker has moved on to the head coaching job at Michigan State. Is that a good hire? Yeah, it's a good hire, man. I'm a a fan of Mel Tucker. I think Mel Tucker's a good coach. Um, We'll see. I mean, it's just it's kind of bad because he was just getting something started for Colorado, and now he's gone again. I call this that young Lane Kiffin because this is the type of crap he pulled back when he was at the height of his career, just going to places for one year and chucking up the deuces. But for Michigan State, it's definitely a good hire. The Bengals are reportedly willing to work with Andy Dalton on a trade from Cincinnati when the time is right. That's nice of them, right? That's really nice of them. And it, it, it's kind of why Cincinnati never wins anything. They're too worried. They sitting here worried about being nice to people and, oh, yeah, we'll trade you wherever you want to go. If I was the GM of the Bengals, I'd trade them to wherever. You're you just going to land where you're going to land. Deal with it. For them zero playoff wins you delivered. Last one, Clippers and Celtics tomorrow night in Boston. Last game before the All-Star break. Who you got, Drink? Yo, man, you know it's hard for me to bet against the Clippers at this point. Um, Celtics is a good team, don't get me wrong, but, you know, the Clippers got a little more firepower. And the Clippers got to feel like they let a game slip through their grass with the 76ers. They can't be going around here flopping to another Eastern Conference contender. So I'm going to go with the Clippers on this one. All right. Well, that concludes today's Drink of Wisdom. I'm Cody Ward. I'm Jay Wise. And I'm Nathan Drinker, and remember, make tomorrow better than today, and make today better than yesterday. And you know what we're going to do, baby? We're going to holler at you until next time.